please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. You know, rock bottom is a tricky question for me, um, simply because, uh, and this isn't to be overly pessimistic, it's just been my experience of like, oh, things can get always get worse. Um, and so, but they get worse in different ways. So of course I had uh, what I would call my physical rock bottom, which would be like waking up in a hospital confused and in pain and, um, you know, it, the, the, yeah, that was, that was, that was a rock bottom. But then there was also, um, there, there is one moment that, that does stand out to me. And that was, a, it was, uh, years after the accident, I was, um, I, I had, you know, worked hard to, uh, graduate from college, like actually do pretty well, um, especially considering my injuries um and I, I had moved away I was working in clinical research um at that time so this one particular night I remember um I was uh attending some graduate classes at uh, Johns Hopkins which I was you know I was proud of being able to do that but uh, they were they were really tough and I was also working full-time uh, managing my first clinical trial. Um, that was also kind of challenging. Um, anyway, I was really, really overwhelmed. And I think um, all the, you know, I'd had a, a, a relationship breakup and actually it had been that same relationship that I had been in years ago that uh, when I was in my car accident, that, that guy and I had stayed together for some number of years. And, um, anyway, so the, the relationship had ended, I was under all this stress and I, I was telling myself all of these like absolutes, like I must get these grades. I must do this stuff now. Um, you know, I had all these beliefs about like what I needed to do in order to like not be a failure. And, um, I was also, oh, just for bonus, I, um, I had a, well, what I now know is rheumatoid arthritis, but at that time was an undiagnosed chronic pain condition that people kept telling me I was just nuts. And I was like, no, my bones are deteriorating, you assholes. Um, so anyway, I was in a lot of physical pain. Um, and I just, you know, I just remember, like I had had passing suicidal thoughts, but this particular night, I was starting to get very, uh, I was starting to go more into the planning stage, you know, leaving me the simple ideation um, for a more like, oh, what am I going to do with my, what, what about my golden retriever? How can I make sure that she's taken care of? Um, like, well, how could I do this? Well, um, okay, well, if I, 
leave a key in the mailbox and I call this person. Like I was making all the plans to make sure like I was just, I was really worried about my golden retriever. Um, she probably saved my life because I was like, oh, I don't have anyone. Like there's no one here that will support me. Like who will take care of her? Um, yeah, so and then I just felt like, um, I, I think at that time I was sort of experiencing a lot of social isolation. I didn't have uh, much family support. Um, it was pretty, I, I was living away from family and old friends and um, yeah. Uh, so that was really a, a bad night um, and I did end up uh, deciding not to end my life um, and was like well I'll just be a failure instead and I'll which is what I told myself at that time that was my distorted thinking um, and I was like I'll just I so I disenrolled um, from my graduate classes um, and I knew I was that was going to be a huge disappointment to well there really honestly there were only like a couple people I could think of that like gave a damn but I didn't want to uh, it was just it was a, a big blow to the ego um, I'll say that oh that assumes I have an official diagnosis um, <laughs> so I probably symptoms started um, when I was a teenager but um, uh, I don't think anyone give me anything close to an official diagnosis until I was like in my mid-twenties. Erin traumatic brain injury and depression. Okay, so this is a fun story. Um, so I was um, a sophomore in college and um, I like to say I was a real hot mess. Um, so I was um in some ways you could say having a somewhat typical college experience in that I was constantly in crisis um just meaning that I um I was drinking too much being irresponsible squandering opportunities all of that good stuff um I was actually in the in the music school um and definitely squandering that opportunity not practicing like I needed to be anyway um my irresponsible behaviors got me uh sort of in a little bit of I hate this phrase uh trouble I will say um so I uh found out so I had a boyfriend and he was a good guy he also um like me had some had had some issues with alcohol and um uh anyway actually I, I broke up with him because he started drinking again even though i was still drinking i i just thought it was a problem for him and so i broke up with him then i found out i was uh pregnant so we got back together and a couple weeks later um i was just really really distressed about being pregnant because well, one, I was in college, and I had been raised in this very, very Catholic household, um, like very anti-abortion. Like, I remember being a little kid going to, like, 
those uh like protests with like people carrying pictures of fetuses and stuff but uh, i was on the same side as them when i was like eight um anyway so i was like oh i even though i was okay with uh, abortion as a general concept by that point i'm like okay with other people having one i was like i i didn't think that i could or i didn't think i wanted to do that um anyway so i was just i was not in a good place and i was really distressed um uh, I only know is so one day I was leaving choir practice and my next memory is about about a month later um and I was like in a different city and I was like in a crap ton of pain like a lot of pain I was really really confused and I couldn't really communicate or move or do anything I wasn't even breathing on my own I had a tube in my throat so I could breathe and um what had happened was um I had been in a really bad car accident um in which I had a traumatic brain injury it was a very um severe type of injury so I'm I'm really lucky in some sense um and uh, and I had a miscarriage, and I'd had my uh, pelvis and a lot of my left side of my body was crushed. And um, so that explains the severe pain. So I'd had, um, while I was in a coma, they'd actually done like a 14-hour surgery to repair my pelvis. Um, and they just kind of left the rest of the broken bones. They were like, yeah, she's probably going to die anyway. Waking up from a coma is not like the movies usually. It's a very, very gradual process. And there's uh, different stages of a coma, and I went through a lot of, like, agitation, uh, which is one of the stages. I was so bad, they had to put my room right across from the nurse's room, because I would, like, pull out my IVs, pull out my tracheotomy, press the nurse call button constantly, so they, like, tied me to the bed. I had these, like, fuzzy restraints. Yeah, so I, I did go back to work and uh, managed, I, I was still going to work. And um, so this is actually an interesting story. It's actually also how I got my diagnosis of depression. Although I knew enough at that point, because I was working in psychiatric research, I knew enough to know that like, oh, I have depression for damn sure. I was like, I was... I had to diagnose other people like I like not officially because I was not a doctor, but essentially I had to diagnose them. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I, I remember going back to work um, and one, one issue was that they just didn't have any help for me. And this was my first clinical trial and I was like managing it all by myself. And um, I was like hurting cats because I was the clinical trial was for folks who were dependent on cocaine and anyway it was a thing and um I ended up talking with my my boss the medical director um and he was also like a, a I had known him for years and he was like a sort of an unofficial mentor to me he was like really he wanted me to uh go to medical school the whole thing was like I was going to go to grad school first and then go to medical school because I like to make things complicated um anyway and he was like um no you can't like he was he was disappointed in me like just as I knew he would be he's like 
no, you, you can't, you can't do that. Like, you know, you need to be a doctor, all of these things. Um, you know, anyway, what ended up happening was like, I told him, I was like, look, you don't understand. Like, this is what I'm dealing with. I have all this pain, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, uh, and I was like, you know, my, I can't get any treatment. My primary care just keeps telling me like to take Tylenol and, or no, to take, I don't know leave and I was like I'm taking so many I have like stomach problems and he was like well I'll treat you which is not the best thing to do like for a psychiatrist to te treat their their employee but at that point um so not that is not an ethical recommendation um but he really um he had the best of intentions I don't consider him a shady guy I just don't think that was like a highly it, it's not what I would recommend uh, but yeah he did prescribe me um, it was actually for my chronic pain but he prescribed me a psychiatric med because um, and I just got on a very very high dose of it it was Cymbalta um, which um, I, you know hey it, that's definitely not the, the go to med for RA but seeing as I couldn't actually get a diagnosis yet for my RA the Cymbalta was great for a little while and that it helped my pain um, eventually, I it, I also didn't sleep for like the entire time I was on it pretty much. So eventually I had to stop that medication. But um, it sort of tided me over and helped me to be more functional. Um, and I always like his explanation. I was like, oh, it's so interesting that this psych med is helping me with my physical pain. Um, and he was like, well, why wouldn't it? They're all the same, you know these neurons are all the same in your brain uh that you don't have like physical neuron physical pain neurons and then like oh over here's your depression neurons like it makes sense that it would um it would help um that this like snri would help and uh, it did and that's how i it sort of tidied me over like i said and i was able to kind of move forward in the tiniest possible way uh, in my life. So. Well, um, while I was still on the Cymbalta, that's when, uh, although I wasn't sleeping, um, I was able to uh, just think a little bit more clearly and make better decisions. And um, I, I finally just decided I needed to like take some action in my life to, I really needed to like meet people because I like just didn't have a lot of like friends or people I knew in the city where I was living. And uh, that's when I was like, I was looking for an acting class. I couldn't find any acting classes available immediately. So I saw that there was improv and I was like, improv, ew, gross. But I uh, was like, well, who knows? I'll just go and maybe I'll meet some nice friends and then I'll take a real acting class in the fall. But at least I'll meet some nice people or people at all. And um, that's exactly what happened. Um, I went, um, by the way, first improv class, um, I really... Uh, fell in love with it we didn't start out with games and stuff we like went right into like scene work and I remember in that first class that first scene I ever played 
I played a cannibal and I ate my scene partner with a spoon. And I was like, oh, this is for me. And I've been an improviser ever since. Um, and, you know, all of that like dark energy and stuff that I have within my soul, I get to sort of um, express in a healthy way on the improv stage. Um, and yeah, I've, so I, I would say, um, improv was, you know, it's not mental health treatment by any sense of the imagination, but it is, um, for me, the, the big difference was that I started to experience community. And I want to say for, it had been such a long time since I had experienced a true, um, community because that car accident that I was in in college, like, whatever fragile community I had, it had completely destroyed it. Like friends abandoned me. Um, I couldn't, it was really hard to make new friends um, after that. So for the first time I was like, I had, I had my people, you know, and I even eventually um, got a husband out of the deal. So like, it just kind of worked out. In addition to helping me find community, what I found with improv was, um, so the brain injury and the accident, all the physical injuries had really destroyed my sense of identity because I, you know, there I was, I was, I was a 19 year old and like, you know, what is your identity? Like, oh, it's your talents. Oh, my singing, um, you know, your, your smarts. Uh, so, oh, that was kind of messed up after the brain injury. And then like your body, well, that was really fucked up after the accident. So my sense of identity was really, really shit. Um, and um, what I found with improv was it allowed me to sort of reform an identity and also reconnect with any like creative instincts that I had previously experienced. Like I, you know, I was on the stage again. I wasn't singing opera, but I, I was on the stage making up weird, strange scenes with people. And uh, actually some of them were musical and I was sort of able to... Uh, yeah, just sort of like, I think like re, um, this is probably a terrible misuse of this word, like amalgamate my myself. Um, I think I just created that word. I don't think it's a thing. Um, so I reformed myself. No, that also sounds terrible. <laughs> something, I re-somethinged myself. There we go. My breakthrough, uh, I think, has been in the realization, and, and this has actually come pretty recently, that um, the, the realization that like there is a need to be flexible in the tools that we use um, to help us cope. And, and what I mean by that is like sometimes what works for one problem at one particular time in life may or may not help in the future and we sort of have to be willing to experiment um i don't know why i use the word royal we there but um i need to be willing to experiment uh from for my own needs because um at different times in life like oh meditation has been really helpful at this particular point in my life but then um down the road when i'm facing another a crisis or a suicidal um, ideation incident, 
you know, really what I need is like sort of some cognitive behavioral therapy to help me challenge those cognitive distortions. And then maybe at another time, what I really need is to hang out with my community and, 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 and feel, um, yeah, feel a sense of community. Mm. Um, and then, you know, at different times, I've just needed different things. And so for me, um, I have, I, I, it's important for me to realize, like, nothing will ever get rid of, like, the, the existential dread <laughs> in my life. And, like, that's okay. And I just, like, am learning to, like, Oh yeah, like I'm always gonna be me. I can I can use I can gain more coping skills. I can, um, you know, find better tools. But like at the end of the day, like I w I won't ever make things perfect. Um, but I really I just have to kind of uh, use try different things. Sort of like um, yeah, add more tools to my toolbox to be a complete asshole about it i hate that phrase but anyway it's a phrase a lot of psychiatrists use it when my emotions started catching up with me um well i would say it was a it was a gradual process and that probably also was for the best because um uh, so my emotional uh maturity was really really affected from the accident and i i don't know if you know, that could be due to, like, the architectural changes that happened in my brain, but also due to, like, my social experiences after the accident, because I just um, didn't have, like, a typical college experience, so that kind of delayed my social development. Um, um, so I would say by the end of college, which college took me a little bit of extra time, considering the coma in the middle of college, or towards the beginning but anyway took me a little extra time um and also of course changing majors and stuff um but by the time I had reached like I was taking like my MCAT and oh I also I lived in South Louisiana I'd also and uh Hurricane Katrina happened and that kind of and I was trying to study for my MCAT and like <laughs> anyway it was a whole thing um that's when I feel like all of the past few years um, really started um, catching up with me in that um, I just was so overwhelmed. Like here I was with this like broken body, broken brain, trying to like pound all these like organic chemistry. And well, that wasn't the problem. It was the physics. Damn physics. Um, and like all these things into my head. Um, as well as um, trying to do like all my academic stuff, I was also gotten it into my head that I was like, I'm gonna try to start singing again. So I was taking music classes again. I was, uh, yeah, I, sometimes I make poor choices. And um, that's when I was like, I, I just sort of was so overwhelmed and I was like, but I was starting to feel again because I was, I think I like was like, oh, did I just cry? I think I just cried. Oh, God damn it. Um, and that was like from uh, trying to do like musical performances again and like feeling all the all the feelings when I 
would get up there and sometimes my voice just wasn't there for me and it would just leave and um that you know would bring about a lot of emotions like it was easy to tuck my emotions aside when I was just trying to like memorize formulas but when I had to like when I was trying to put myself out there and do like these like musical theater numbers and like I was trying to dance with a fucked up pelvis and hip and all this and sing with a fucked up voice and uh, then go home and study like yeah I started feeling all the anxiety and the depression and all of those fun things um so that's when I sort of put med school on hold for a bit because I knew I was like I actually might need a break and um you know the break just turned into forever um, you know, uh, so sometimes I do wish I had just pushed through, but, um, but who knows, I might've gone to med school and just, um, completely fallen apart there. So, uh, there, um, so yeah, I would say it started then, uh, but then by the time I was like, you know, had moved away and, and working in research, I, I think I spoke, that's when like the suicidal ideation started and, um, just really like the end of um, my long-term relationship that, you know, that really impacted things and yeah. So all that stuff. happy kid I mean and that's I want to also and if you can include this I would appreciate it um I want to acknowledge my privilege in all of this um I was not you know I I did come from privilege in the sense of like you know I have white privilege and I had economic privilege and so because of those things um though I was unhappy I always felt like um, well, I didn't know about white privilege when I was a kid. Who, what am I talking about? But uh, I I always felt like, well, I'm not being like, like I would see on TV, like traumatic things happening to people. And I'm, and I'm like, well, that's not happening to me. Like, um, you know, so I, I always kind of discounted like whatever mood experiences I was having. And, um, you know, I... My, my parents, you know, they, they, they love me and, um, but they, they, you know, they have certain ideas about, you know, what people should do. There's a lot of, a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts and authoritarianism. And that probably also ties in with the Catholicism. They're very, very religious. And, um, I think they have like sincerely held religious beliefs, like, I think that is something that they truly believe in. Um, um, so I was the youngest um, of five children, and I was the youngest by a lot. So my I was I was the accident. I have four much older siblings than me. So in many ways, I was kind of like an only child. Um, and that is where my deep well of social isolation comes from. Um, who knows? It's probably related, right? Um, so yeah, I just remember being kind of like a fearful child, 
Um, but then like if you if I would ever like mention discomfort or fear or sadness about something, usually it was like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Um, you know, you're so lucky or you're, you know, don't, you shouldn't feel sad or, you know, whatever it was, like whatever I was feeling was not appropriate to being, to be felt. And, um, you know, I think that's probably just what they truly believed. And, um, but needless to say, I also, so, although I, I know it's a risk that like, you know, my parents could one day listen to this, but, um, yeah, they're real awkward people. So I didn't learn good social skills from them, like real bad social skills. And I carried that with me. And so I think that I was such like a weird little child with bad social skills that I just, I always had a little bit of trouble making friends and uh, kind of, oh, I've carried that into adulthood. But um so, um, yeah, um, I will say, so I, I just was sort of probably a little bit of an angsty teen, a lot of an angsty teen. How about that? And, you know, I would sort of at different times, like experience, like fun going out and feeling like, oh, I have friends. And then, you know, the next day I would feel like I have no one, no one cares for me. And, um, I like to also be dramatic and read Jane Austen. Well, so what I would say to uh, my younger self um, would be the world is much larger than you think it is, and you have so many more options than you're being told right now. Like, you do not have to just, like, marry a man, have babies, you know, do this one particular type of life you can pursue um, creative things. You can, you know, things are not black and white. They are um, many shades of gray and rainbow and all of that fun stuff. And um, you should explore all of that. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I would say um, to my younger self is um, I would somehow drive home the importance of community and relationships with others because everything that I was taught was just about like sort of bootstrapping it um, in terms of like, you know, the need to be self-sufficient. I don't think that's like, there's some positives to that. Like I did develop some inner strength and such, but I also like suffered a lot more than I needed to because I didn't have, um, good relationships with friends with um with other people and if I could somehow like teach my child self like hey this is how you can uh relate with other people and you don't you know it's fine to be a little weird but also we can also like you know try to make friends uh that's a good thing too I I would do that
think about you know what what I would say to someone dealing with depression um, and maybe some suicidal ideation um, it's a little challenging for me to come up with what I would say because I think the first thing that I would need to do is listen um, a lot of times that is a really key part of helping someone heal is really to listen um, to give empathy to give resources if that is what is needed um, to provide space for someone um, and so if I if I'm really trying to consider what I would say to someone, it's, it's hard for me to uh, just come up with a sort of a blanket piece of advice because I think my first choice be, um, would be to listen because I know that that's often what I've needed is to have someone to listen to me. For more information and to donate, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. You Don't Fight Alone is sponsored in part by Mentally Chill, an improv team talking about mental illness and how it's so hard but no one likes to bother anyone about it. Be prepared to be bothered. Find them on facebook.com slash mentallychillimprov, Instagram at mentallychillimprov, and at Voodoo Comedy beginning this September. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.